Hello, and welcome back to Parallel Worlds. I hope you are well, amply rested, and feeling creatively ready to take on another week. Last week you tried some sound activities, recreating sounds from your immediate surroundings. How did you find them? Is this your medium? Have you found a voice? Do you feel comfortable? Perhaps this audio work is a bit like a new pair of shoes where you have to spend a while breaking them in. Some of the best work can be produced when you're on the edge of your own comfort zone, where you feel you're pushing yourself slightly into the unknown. There was a shift in the exercises last week, I'm sure you noticed it, from the first day where you wrote as many ridiculous lies as you could and then made one of those lies into a mini-story, to the second day where you created an artist origin story, to the third day where you wrote about objects with significance and then gave some of those objects special powers, to the fourth and fifth days where you recreated mundane sounds from your environment using your own mouth and then other objects around you. Maybe you're thinking, why did I do that? Why did he ask me to do those things? And where is all this going? Well, we have just under a month left of this course. By the end of that time, you will have produced an audio story, a short work which documents your life, your reality right now in these strange times. If you like, it can be an overview of your artistic or design or creative practice, the things you're doing every day. But it's also going to jump into or reveal a parallel world, a fantastical, maybe inaccessible place, which we'll have to reach through our imagination. So, by now, you're used to the documenting of the everyday. You've been producing five minutes of reflection each day, the first activity in each of these podcasts. I hope you've kept some sort of record of your daily musings, your reflections on what's going on now. Not to show to anyone else, or to criticise your own writing, but to be used as raw material to turn into an audio story. The free writing exercises are there to loosen you up creatively, to get you to write or speak or draw or whatever else without consequence, without editing, without the normal quality controller who'd stop us from probing into strange and unexplored parts of our own minds. Whenever I'm working on something I know somebody else will see, I'm far more inhibited. I'm more aware that somebody else will be passing some sort of judgment on it. The sketches that I do that are just for me, well, they're different to the ones I do for other people. When I'm free writing or free drawing or making anything that I know is somehow private, it's a whole different thing. Turning off that quality controller really enables you to be bold, to be silly, to be playful in ways that you otherwise couldn't be. Sometimes it produces utter rubbish as well. There is a part of me that also really likes these secret weird thoughts that won't necessarily go anywhere or become anything. I like knowing that whatever I do in my own practice or in my own teaching, there's another strange layer happening in the background. One reason I like this is because it's really easy when you have a creative career to feel like you've been backed into a corner, or to feel like as an artist you're stuck to one style or one theme, or that your entire professional practice has to be related to one set of ideas. You're not. Sit down with a blank sheet of paper, give yourself 10 minutes away from emails and messages and other distractions, set that pen writing, and your mind will wander to all sorts of places you never imagined. Or rather, places you did imagine, but you didn't imagine that you could imagine. I hope you have a similar experience. I hope you remember that you're not limited to the small set of skills or ideas or techniques or materials that you become known for, or you define yourself through, that there are other possibilities too. 
And no matter what happens to you in life, professionally, creatively, there's still a world of possibilities there in your mind, just under the surface. It's been there all along. You just need to know how to reveal it, to open the can, to turn on the tap, or to use any other terrible analogy. But it's there. All of that stuff, and it's yours. So, back to that earlier question. Why did I ask you to do those other exercises last week? Well, as you know, this course is called Parallel Worlds, and we're operating in parallel between the worlds we inhabit now and the ones we could inhabit. We're making an audio production to explore these worlds. Last week's exercises were about finding points of departure between one world and another, and honing your audio storytelling skills. In any work of fiction where the concept of a parallel world is invoked, there's a point of departure, something that shifts the viewer's experience from the world the story starts in to another plane. In The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, for example, there's a magical wardrobe which is a gateway to another world. You go to the back of a seemingly normal wardrobe between old fur coats and you're suddenly in Narnia, another world with different rules. That's a similar plot device to the objects you looked at and gave special powers to last week. Could you use one of those fantastical objects that you devised as a point of departure to link this world to another one? Does one of your objects reveal a different layer, invisible to the human eye, where there are different rules? For a completely obvious example of this, you could put on a pair of glasses which reveal a different reality, like in the 1983 John Carpenter film, They Live. Or... Any one of your fantastical objects could exist between planes, slowly revealing another place or time or dimension. It's completely up to you. We also looked at artist's origin stories. Again, these could be a point of departure where you, the creative practitioner listening to this right now, become something else through a fantastical backstory. Perhaps your parallel world will be something from the past, perhaps from the future. Who knows? It's likely that you don't know at this moment, and that is something that's exciting. In less than a month from now, you might have made a work that's different to everything you've done before, taking you to places you haven't even thought of yet. How often does that happen, that you have such freedom to escape into or out of your own mind and create something completely new? Lastly, you made audio reproductions of everyday sounds. Now, this was for a very specific reason. Within fiction that plays with the idea of parallel worlds, or planes of existence, or anything in that general theme, there are always similarities between the new, strange place and the place the story started in. A story that started in your home, as it is now, with all of the objects that are around you, then jumped into a completely different place that had no parallels at all. Say you had different physics, 15 dimensions, no people, nothing similar to the place you started. Well, that story probably wouldn't make any sense or at least it probably wouldn't make for a compelling or cohesive story. Your audience are going to be looking for patterns, similarities between one place and the other. We need devices that connect the two worlds. These can be literal devices, like the wardrobe that connects a normal bedroom to Narnia, or they can be any of the objects with fantastical powers that you wrote about last week. Or they can be structural devices, for example, if in one story the protagonist is someone who looks like you, perhaps in another mirror world there's a mirror protagonist who has a similar set of experiences to yours. 
Perhaps you could use two story structures that are similar. Or perhaps there are similar spatial arrangements or similar themes. Whatever makes sense to your story. But because we are telling this story in audio, and you'll probably be using your voice to tell both stories, it needs some way of differentiating between one world and another. You will probably need an audio cue that we're jumping from world 1 to world 2 or back again. The reason I ask you to create fake versions of real sounds is that these could be a very simple way of jumping. If you are telling a story about your life right now, and you use, say, the sound of a fan in your room as a motif for repetition, for example, you could use your fake version of this sound to signal that you're jumping from one place to another. You need to create patterns your listeners will recognize and that they recognize when they change. Your noises might work as incidental things in the background, like a sound bed, or maybe they're what we call diegetic noises, that is, noises that appear as part of the story. In a film, diegetic noise is something that appears on screen, so if you see someone snapping a pencil lead on screen, the noise of that lead snapping is the diegetic noise. In our audio stories, perhaps you'll use sound to tell part of the story. For example, perhaps a door opens, a light is switched on, you make some coffee, who knows? But perhaps you could fade between the real-world versions of these regular sounds that you've been recording and the fake versions that you made last week and use that as a technique to differentiate between the two worlds. Anyway, let's get on with today's exercise. Today we're going to be doing something a little different. The exercise today is to listen to another audio story and work out how it works. I have talked about Ross Sutherland's Imaginary Advice podcast before. I really think it's one of the best podcasts out there because it really plays with the medium it's made in. Its tagline is Experiments in Audio Fiction, and each episode takes you to a completely different place. Ross manages to produce work that is so immersive, so experimental. The stories can be profoundly moving, really funny, really weird, merging the fantastical with the mundane. They can take you to very strange places and states of mind. And the stories do things that would be impossible, or at least really expensive, in another medium. Today, you're going to listen to an episode of Imaginary Advice called Six House Parties, where Ross talks about going to six ever more elaborately themed house parties, and each time failing to impress a girl and then being outdone by an acquaintance or a rival called Dave. The story is just so well told. It's touching and funny. It really takes you on a journey, and it uses sound to create atmospheres that you just couldn't create in another medium. So, here is the story Six House Parties from Imaginary Advice, with kind permission of Ross Sutherland. I will be back at the end to talk about a few things that I like about this story. In the meantime, enjoy Six House Parties. Party number one. The theme of the party is Toga. Toga party. You arrive early and help Karen set up the dips. Hey Karen, you say, handing her the guacamole. I, uh, I hope there's dancing tonight, hey. Yeah, says Karen. It's gonna be like the last days of Rome. Ha <laughs> ha, you laugh as well. Ha ha ha. Karen touches you on the arm and then leaves to go get the breadsticks. It is totally on. 
imaginary advice. Most of the guests have hired their togas from a shop. They've got gold trim and calf straps. They're quite modest, but that's not your style. No, you've gone with the classic bedsheet over the shoulder look. It's authentic, it's Animal House, it's sexy. It says, I effortlessly complete the brief. Is that a nipple? I hadn't even noticed. The party fills quickly like a sexy bath. It is not a suicidal orgy, but it is fun. At midnight, you notice a guy in the corner dressed in chinos and a sky blue sports shirt. Karen is hanging on his every word. She introduces him to you. Hey, this is Dave. Hey dude, you say. Forget your costume. Dave's eyes flip to Karen. He snorts. No. I've come as Toga Matsumoto, the famous Japanese composer. He composed the theme tune to almost every big anime series of the 90s. Your face turns red. Yeah, I knew that, you say. Hang on, I've got to get something. You walk straight out the front door and go home. Party number two. The theme of the party is the letter K. Letter K party. Everyone must come dressed as something beginning with K. There are about eight kings, five King Kongs, two King Kong Bundys. You have come as Chris Christopherson. Cowboy boots, tidy white beard, hair like you've spent all day on the deck of a boat. Kate Middleton has already gone home with Kanye West, which means you are focusing all of your attention on the girl dressed as Stanley Kubrick. She keeps playing the same song over and over and telling the crowd to dance more meaningfully. You ask her if she's got any Beethoven for later. Both of your beards glow in the sugary UV light. You're already the toast of the party after you dispatch the creepy guy who was making inappropriate comments in the kitchen. It's still unclear whether he was Karl Lagerfeld, Emmanuel Kant, or just the character from the film Kingpin. Kubrick dedicates a song to you, Dust in the Wind by Kansas. You dance in front of her, seductively. At midnight, there is a ruckus at the door. It's Dave, someone shouts. He's come dressed as potassium. You know, the chemical potassium. Because on the periodic table, it's represented by the letter. Yeah, I, I get it, you say, grabbing their bottle of bourbon as you turn. 
You can hear the sound of Dave fizzing, threatening to explode if he touches water, the whole party clapping and chanting his name. You sit in a bedroom and drink alone. Much, much later, someone pops their head in and asks you why you're dressed as Jeff Bridges. Party number three. The theme of the party is Pat Butcher. Pat Butcher party. Everyone must come dressed as Pat Butcher. You have come as Malibu Pat Butcher. Grass skirt, a blue dahlia in your hair. In the toilet queue, you get chatting to a nice girl in rally fatigues. She has come as NASCAR Pat Butcher. Tiny Lego tires as earrings. Hey Pat, you say, I love your jacket. Maybe you could take me for a drive sometime. Thanks Pat, she says. My baby's in the auto shop, but maybe you could come have a look at it. What do you know about heavily damaged rear suspension? In another room, the phone rings. Phone call for Pat, someone shouts. You both laugh. At the stroke of midnight, one Frank turns up. He is instantly mobbed by Pats. They swarm him, touching his spectacles as if they were sacred. Frank, Frank, they shout. You don't even have to look round. Someone notices your face. Do you not know who Frank is? I know exactly who Frank is, you say. You catch your reflection in the mirror, then tear off your garland and throw it on the floor. It looks like a big flowery zero. Party number four. The theme of the party is the adversaries of General Victoriano Huerta. Adversary of General Victoriano Huerta party, President of Mexico, February 1913 to July 1940. Most guests have come as the revolutionary Emiliano Zapata, bit obvious. Some have come as President Francisco Moreto or Governor Abraham Gonzalez. There's a couple of Woodrow Wilsons knocking about. It was a messy coup, so there are lots of options for this party, really, if you think about it. Everyone poses for black and white photographs by the fountain, cocktail sausages as cigars. As the clock strikes 12, you hear the sound of someone riding a horse through your host's plastic orange grove. Dave appears, dressed as Jose Cuervo, the tequila mascot, a brace of shot glasses strung across his chest. 
suddenly it hits you. Victoriana Huerta died of cirrhosis of the liver. Was his only true adversary himself? I mean, Huerta struggled with alcohol since 1907 when he left the army after developing cataracts while serving in the southern jungles. Dependence on alcohol might well have made him more pliable, playing directly into the hands of Henry Lane Wilson, General Bernardo Reyes and Felix Diaz. No booze means no betrayal. Huerta would still be the head of public works planning new street layouts for Monterey. Was all this in the name of revolution or just one man's dwindling capacity for drink? My God, is everything that I know about 20 of century Mexican politics a fucking lie? Bueno, says Dave, pulling out a bueno. Several women swoon over the edge of the balustrade and need to be resuscitated. You remove their moustaches before the ambulance arrives. Party number five. The theme of the party is the Fibonacci sequence. Fibonacci sequence party. Party starts at one, then goes on to one, then two, then three, skips four, then five, skips six and seven, restarts at eight, skips nine to twelve, etc. Everyone dances all night. Harmonic intervals going up, melodic intervals going down. At midnight, right on cue, Dave appears. This time with 50 randoms. I'm crashing your sequence, shouts Dave with a smirk. The gay crashers scatter into the party like ball bearings at a Lindy Hop. A random gets into every conversation, every bottle of booze. They wander around the party, quacking broken sentences until the party turns into a TV tuned to static. Dave, you shout. I got you this time. These people aren't truly random, are they? You just rounded up all your mates from Venture Scouts. Prove it, says Dave, his eyes rick-rolling in the pinkish disco light. Party number six, your party. The theme of the house party is Dave. Dave party. Everyone must come dressed as Dave. The decor is Dave, the music is Dave. You Dave up all the Dave until it looks super Dave. Everyone turns out for this one. Every girl you've ever loved, every boy you've wanted to be. The only topic of conversation is Dave. How is he going to do it? How can someone comically misinterpret the theme of a party when the theme is themselves? You know that you have him this time. Dave must fail. Dave must fail. You've been chanting it all week as you decorated, whispering it into the paper chains. It's midnight. 
Every guest turns to face the door. Camera phones at the ready. The door cracks. You hold your breath. As... A dog toy is tossed through the crack in the door. A small, purple, dimpled bone that squeaks as it bounces haphazardly down the corridor. Oink. Oink. Oink, oink, oink. You go to say, is that it? But before you can even add the question mark, the door heaves open and all life follows. Every genus of flower, every dead football player, all the trucks, broccoli, gallows, habits, every lineup of the fall, the alphabet, every out-of-work bodyguard, every second-hand microscope, the concept of shame, every great American novel, all the saints, the Samoans, all the Samoans, a hand the size of a courtyard, every terse bellhop, every older flatmate that DJs, every tall funny guy, every disillusioned punk, every can of Diet Coke, all the geese, Sarah Jessica Parker, every vegetarian lasagna, Frankenstein, every missed penalty, all the goblets, Moorfields Eye Hospital, a lifetime supply of mint flavoured candles, the team behind Sunny Delight, every broken pachinko table, every resurrected slogan, every pregnant member of staff, every man who wears a pink shirt to the office who says, for my sins, when you ask him what his job is, CITV, breast cancer, Pong, wrestling terminology, people called Julie, all the Morrissey fans who say, oh, I don't understand why people don't like Morrissey, and then sing all of the words over the top so you can't hear the fucking song. I don't hate Morrissey, I can't hear Morrissey, I hate you. Fudge, babies, drawings of lungs, all the couples that wear matching jackets and hang around furniture shops, bunk beds, cholera, Santa, windows, French money, carnival hats, Rob Lowe, all the cuckoo clocks, the entire credits of Rabsy Nesbit, duck eggs, shallow graves, bulldozers, Paul Oster, all the shotgun weddings, newsagent hair, every fictional character, every children's slide, monkeys, everything, everything ever, from wherever and whenever, for forever, until eventually, at the back of the conga line, you see you, you see yourself entering the party, one hand raised and waggling. Dave, you laugh in agony. Dave, you've done it again.
imaginary advice. Hi, and welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that story as much as I did. Please do consider subscribing to Imaginary Advice if you liked it. It's a great podcast with a whole new world every month. I'm going to take a few minutes to talk about a few things that Ross does in the story that really make it work, which are worth considering when you're writing your own audio story. Firstly, the title of this episode is Six House Parties. The audience know what they're getting from the very start. Six stories. Each story is a different house party. It's plain and simple. At the very beginning of each party, Ross announces party one, party two, and so on, and then the theme of the party. So, built into the structure of the stories, there's a form of signposting, of letting the audience know where they are. You are at story three, welcome to story four, and so on. It's a bit like chapter headings in a book, but because it's delivered in the same factual way each time, with a sort of DJ scratching noise to jump you between each party, you get used to this structure, you know what to expect. This is something really worth thinking about in your own work. How do you help the audience know where they are without ruining the story itself? Another thing that works well is that the story builds up from something simple and completely relatable, a simple toga-themed house party, to more elaborate and obscure ideas. If the story had started with the themes of party four or party five at the start, it just wouldn't have made any sense. It holds together because it builds and builds. It uses patterns and repetition to become more and more absurd. Then, let's talk about the sound itself. Six House Parties uses sound in a way that's completely appropriate to the story. The fact that the story is about parties means the audio vocabulary is also party-related. Each party, which in itself is really a mini-story, has a sound bed of different music, and the transition between each one is a DJ scratching noise, the sound of a record deck being abruptly stopped. In other words, the sound does a lot of the storytelling for us. The music builds each time, from a muted sort of drum noise to a louder, more full electronic soundtrack, as if you're walking further and further into a party. But each time, the music throws us straight into an atmosphere, and builds and builds and builds. Music can often be really distracting in audio stories, but in this one, it masterfully creates a different atmosphere and a different mood each time. I don't know about you, but I feel like I've been to all of those parties. The audio took me through this set of worlds that I've already inhabited. And finally, at the end of the final story, the climax is just superb, completely unexpected, but brilliant. The pacing of the reading, the reverb on the weird ethereal soundtrack, it creates exactly the atmosphere needed to tell this story. The first time I heard it, I was just blown away. I couldn't believe so much depth, so much immersion could come from my really cheap earphones. The sheer audacity of portraying everything in an audio work is just incredible, but the way that the sound complemented the absurd idea is just great. Anyway, that is about it for today. I hope you enjoyed a slightly different exercise. I would like to recommend two things to end the day. Firstly, listen to more of imaginary advice. It's all there to be listened to for free. All you need to do is hit the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. If you are after a really good hour of a story, 
then listen to number 67, Black Eye, featuring Abby Palmer. Again, the audio production is superb. It has one of the best ways of exploring a black hole that I could imagine. Plus, Abby is actually going to be our guest on this podcast in a couple of weeks' time. And the final thing I'll say before I go is you are now working in sound. You have just under a month to produce this sound file. This means it's your job now to listen around for great audio storytelling. What a great job. You need to become a magpie. Pick up interesting ways to structure and tell stories, to use audio, to make points, to build worlds. There's a list of recommended podcasts on the Parallel Worlds website, but there are many, many more I've never heard of. Please just go round, listen to as much as you possibly can, as diverse a range of voices. If there's one that you come across that you particularly love, leave the show a voicemail. Tell us what's good about it, what's bad about it. And that is the end of the episode. Thank you for listening so far. I will be back again soon.